community has also become this angry, whiny group of people that are just mad at everything. And All right, welcome to another episode of the Fat Games Podcast. Today we have a special guest. He is a someone that we've had on the podcast before. Very colorful character, Red Vonix. Yes, Red's good. Red, Red was a. We had a great conversation with Red today. But before we get into that, Gary, you're looking a little worse for wear. What have we been up to all week? I mean, are we going to talk about like you know my gauntlet of holiday parties that I've had since last Saturday? Yeah, you're looking uh, a little I, tired. I pretty much, uh, I pretty much have like had parties since last Saturday every, every day up until now. So tis the season. It's, it's, it's wearing on me. You're not as young as you used to be. I get it. Well, I uh, I don't think I would have done or fared that well even back in the day. So, right. So, what did we talk about with Red today? He we went talked to about a lot. Of, a lot of different topics. Like, uh, you know, he has two companies that he's uh, that he's doing. One one is you know focused on porting games. The other one is uh, game development. He, so he went to into a little bit, little bit about uh, what he's doing with those. Uh, he talked a lot about game engines, I guess, for uh, the last little bit well, of the podcast. Yeah, we covered a lot about the Unity stuff. Again, we talked about that on our last podcast, but um, we got a, a lot more into it in this podcast. I, I pushed Red on some of the um, specific topics. I personally am skeptical of um, Red's point of view, but I'm certain there is a bit of an impact of of the ongoing sort of unity debacle and what it'll have on the industry but i don't think it's going to be a massive impact and that's that's basically my take on it but um i think it did uh, ruffle a lot of feathers and, and create a lot of nervous uh, game devs out there well at the end of the day only time will tell right so but you know he's a he's a passionate individual and uh it'll show it will show, but before we get into that, Gary, we should do a quick update on Carindow and what we're going to do in the podcast for next year, assuming we're going to keep doing it. <laughs> so oh. the game we're going to keep doing, uh, I would love to get the game done faster than our current targets are now. We were making some incredible progress. I, uh, wouldn't you agree? Well, I would say that you've spent a lot of effort in the last little bit to polishing the game. In terms of you know the aesthetics, um, you know the way the the battle engine plays out. I think you've made some tweaks to that too, right? There isn't a thing to the, <clears throat> there isn't a single aspect of this game that hasn't gotten touched in the last six months. Yeah, it almost looks it like better. it almost looks like a different game. But like every year, I like I find this game looks and plays better and better. And this, I would say, this year has been like the most exciting. Yeah, yeah. Well, we did a lot of investment in it, and. Um... Uh, there's some sub-quests in the game. There's a lot of sub-quests in the game now. I can't believe it. Uh, there's probably like 10 now. Um, in the first, I want to say, five hours, like 10 that you can do. You can't necessarily complete them. Um, the visuals of the game are something else. We, we've touched up on a lot of the dialogue. Uh, we've completed all of the magic in the game. Um, the skills are in flight, where those will take a little bit longer. Uh, just... Everything is just flowing. Everything, everything really about well. it is better. Like I like personally using Super Slash, 
I think that's a really cool skill to use. It looks cool too. Well, that's what that's what I mean. Like, like I look forward to using it because it's really cool. Absolutely, um, and I I want to get this game done a lot faster than than what we're predicting. So, that, yeah, we're, I we think were predicting originally like twenty years. 20, no, like, no, 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 like, no, no. That, that's what you were predicting. I was never predicting that. <laughs> um, I wanted to get this game done between twenty twenty seven and twenty eight, and if we look at porting localization, testing, I feel like it could be longer than that. And I don't want it to be longer than that. So something is probably going to have to change in terms of our approach to getting this game done. And I'm not going to sacrifice quality or content necessarily to do it. So we'll talk more. I think that will be a major conversation for the podcast in 2024. And also in the podcast, I actually want to Still have some great guests, but I also want to focus it on current events and gaming news because uh, specifically with this Unity stuff this year, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff. And if we if we bring on guests to talk about that, I think um, it'll help us it'll, it'll, it'll get an audience for sure, but also talk about, you know, just interesting stuff, stuff that may impact us. So I think it's a maybe a better way to better direction to take the podcast going forward. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I agree. All right, Gary. Should we bring in Red and uh, let's have get some to fun? it? Red, welcome back. It's, welcome back, Mister Red. It's been a Pleasure while. The last time, the last time you were on, we were talking about some unmentionables, uh, <laughs> some adult adult based games, which um which well was one of our most listened to podcasts we've ever done. Uh, also got us flagged by YouTube. So we are going to play that game where we dance around the topic without actually saying what we, what we talked about in the last podcast. But you can always go back and listen to it if you're an adult. Which um, I am. I want to listen to it. <laughs> so we're really glad to have you back. Um, but for those of you who don't know who you are, let's start uh, with some introductions. Who are you, Red? And why are you here? Am, well, I am um, Red Vonix. I've been in the industry for 20-some years now. I've worked on numerous projects, all kinds of different ones, video games, non-video games applications, theme parks, museums. I've been to China working on a theme park. It's been a great time. I run my own company called Cerulean Games, which has a sister company called Drunk Robot Games. Cerulean Games does a lot of B2B stuff. We've been doing a lot of work you may all have heard of recently because we've been focusing on console ports, especially ones for Puppet Combo. Like we worked on Night at the Gates of Hell and Bloodwash and No One Lives Under the Lighthouse. And currently we have four in production unannounced ports for various companies. I can't talk about yet because NDA Inc. is still wet, but trust me, we've got some really awesome stuff in the pipeline. And of course, Drunk Robot Games, we got our fun uh, match three premium, premium, Visual novel match three runic coming hot and heavy early next year, which we're going to be talking about here in a bit. But yeah, I've got a long, long, long fun career. I think some of that is even stuff I didn't even know about. Um, but let's actually start Guys. with something a little, little fun. How did we meet again? How did three we of us been gamer X4, I do believe. Wasn't it, it was it three? It was three, I think. Or was okay, yeah. Well, I know that I met Red in. Oh no, it was four. You're right. 2016. Yeah, that was four. 
Yeah, at the time I was working uh, with Midboss on the console ports of read-only memories. In fact, I worked on the console ports of read-only memories along with just doing a bunch of uh, product updates and bug fixes and things for them as well. And so when they told me about Gamer X4, it's like, hey, I got this dumb little Capitato game I've been working on for my entire life. Can I show it off there? And actually, that's not true because that was the first time we ever showed off at the time I'd been working on for like six months. Um, <laughs> that was your first time showing it? That was the first yeah. time showing it ever, which is why it was so bad. But yeah, uh, I don't remember you were being. Yeah, we were next to each other. Bad? I don't think it was bad. Very, we remember this very differently. But hmm. your table was right next to mine, and I was like, "Who's that cute dude over there? We should hang out." And hmm. kind of went from there. <laughs> and we've been friends ever since. It's been uh yeah, it's been that was like yeah, it's been seven years now. Wow, time flies. Time really flies. does. Yeah, we don't look a day older. How do we do that? What uh, souls are we consuming? Yeah, I, yeah, souls are the blood of children, but you know that's not appropriate to say in a podcast. Oh, man, anyway, flag now. Yeah, we just got flagged, probably. Um, so YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you said a whole bunch of stuff about Runic uh, that yes. I've never heard about before. A visual novel narrative match three. Were those your words? Yes. Th that's okay. Let's close talk to my Runic. Word. The match three element is still the core gameplay. And of course, we're not just, you know, one, two, three match. We're patterns and everything. So it's, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, a two by two block, an L shape, and a bunch of others. And as you match those, you know, you get different, these little like power pieces. And those power pieces you can use in other matches to do different things. Like maybe one will take out an entire column or an entire row. Another one might act intelligently and based on what's in the current stage, figure out the best piece to pop anywhere on the board. But then if you take two of those power-ups and you swap them, you get an overload where every single possible combination of pieces has its own overload. So maybe you swap two lightning bolts, you might do a full cross. Or if you swap two other pieces, it might clear the entire board. I feel like I saw that in the trailer and had no idea what was going on. So that's some good context. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now it's premium so it's not freemium thank god uh nope, so none, none of this advertising crap no no, no in-app purchases no no draining your life sa savings just to win no, you, you buy it once enjoy We're that not is my kind of game awesome <laughs> do you have a release date for it yet q2 2024 okay well that's not very far off yeah, is that tentative or is it was it formally announced tentative uh, really, the main thing is we're going to be starting our submissions to the various console certification processes here around the end of January. And that could take anywhere between one and three months to 47 years, depending yeah. how long and angry they want to be about different things. But yeah. at the same time, you know, we've done roughly we're on our 10th or 11th console port now for clients. So we kind of have a good grasp on it. So it shouldn't be too crazy long for us. What kind of stuff do they usually ask for? I, I mean, I, I remember when I went to the Apple certification with Burgle's Bounty, and that's when I realized they actually played the game because they discovered that there was no um, a way to restore your purchases because uh, because you could use the um, you could buy like in-game currency, and I had to have a way to restore the current restore purchases if, if you did that. So um, and then they flagged me on that, so I had to actually code that functionality in. 
I got to be a little careful here just because this is crossing into NDA territory with gotcha. the platforms. But I can mention from a high level things like um like there's terminology guidelines. You know, like uh, if you have a controller such as this one here that I just happen to have sitting by me. Oh, you know, convenient. when you mention what this is or what this is, it needs to be consistent. And they have particular rules and what it is called in different languages in different countries. And you have to make sure you use those guidelines. That way, if I say what an A button is, you know, we know it's A button. So the action button or something or? Correct. In every language and every language, again, has their own phrasing for that. And the, the various companies, rightfully enough, want it to be consistent between all games. So your game shouldn't be saying like, this is the A slapper when another game says it's the A button. So no A slappers allowed. So that's a big one. Um, a lot of times it's just, you know, stability. Like, you know, if, if your game is crashing or something, that looks bad on yeah. the, the company. Especially, you know, if you're on one platform and it's stable and you're on another one and it's crashing, that looks bad. I mean, it looks bad on you as a company or as a console porting or something, but it also looks bad on them as well. So they watch for well, things like that. I, I have noticed. Of... Go ahead. Sorry. And they have a bunch of their own internal guidelines. And those I definitely cannot mention without losing my licenses over NDAs. But I, I can tell you that they are very rigid and very strict. Well, which... I, I always find that the switch port is always the worst one. And I don't feel like it has to be that way. I feel like they just put the least effort into it. It's true. And there's a console port that Sterling Games are doing right now. I can't say what it is yet because it hasn't been announced. Um, but when it is announced, I promise you, it's going to actually be a big deal. And a lot of people are going to recognize this title. I'm actually really excited we got this gig. Um, but on that, that's actually been an interesting one because it's a really graphically intensive game. And you know you load it up on a lot of the platforms, and it runs fine. Then you put it on Switch, and your Switch just well, I, I got like a chart on fire. <laughs> yeah, so we had to do a lot to make it run very well on on the Switch for that. And yeah, I've seen exactly what you're talking about. You know, you look at a lot of console ports that various companies have done, and the Switch version is just trash. And because a lot of times they just they don't want to take the time to do it, which depending on the game sometimes makes sense because you know the Switch sales are going to be either good or bad. It's going to depend on the game. Um, I know personally with Sterling Games, we are going to you know do the best on all platforms. Um, I mean, we're also a small company. We kind of got to make sure we're putting our best foot forward. But but no, yeah, it's, it's what you said. A lot of companies really don't do uh, what they can on Switch because it's also a lot more work and it's, and it's harder. So you kind of have to really know what you're doing to get those optimizations in. Good to know. As I'm sure that will be in our future, Gary. Yep. Well, we'll, we'll be here waiting, <laughs> waiting. Let's let's talk more about our favorite cat, Potato Mutant. Tell me, how is my favorite cat, Potato Mutant, doing? Going through some changes. Um, obviously, we haven't been too noisy about it over the past couple of years because we we were basically just quietly working on it, and you know we're, we're making good progress and everything. And then this one company decided to mess everything up. Uh, any guesses on which company I'm talking about? Well, I, I, I definitely want to get into this because I know where you're going. But let's let let's talk a little bit more about Potato. Okay. Was it? Is that okay? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I'm going to touch on that slightly, though, for just because yeah, it's yeah. going on. So one thing led to another, and unfortunately, we were forced to change game engines with Potato. So we're moving it from Unity to Unreal. And in doing this, it actually became a bit of a boon because despite work on Potato for so long, as I mentioned before, despite the consumers adoring the game and people wanting to throw money at a finished product, publishers never believed in it. And developers with money never believed in it. And it really changed how we had to do things. We had to do a lot internally. And I, not, not maybe not the best, but I ended up. Why do you think they didn't believe in it? This is actually something we've been finding consistently. We've been talking with a lot of other developers on, and it's kind of an interesting problem. Um, and it's, I, I definitely don't want to shit on any publishers here because I know a lot of publishers, I'm friends with them, and they're, and they're great people. But from what I'm hearing consistently from a lot of other game developers and what we're experiencing as well, a lot of publishers are losing vision. Like there's a lot of games out there that are being produced where the the public audience is just clamoring for this release title with so these titles are predicting to make some pretty good money but then you take it to the publishers and the publishers say we just don't really see a product here or we don't see the ability to make money with this and things like that and it's something that's within Cerulean games and drunker about games we're thinking heavily about and how to address this not just for ourselves but for game developers in general especially the numerous tens and hundreds and potentially thousands of game devs with games the public wants badly, but publishers don't see a product in. Did you have the same issue with Runic? Yes, we did. We actually submitted the game to numerous publishers and zero accepted it. And it's been interesting because, you know, we're working with actual Hollywood talent on the game. Uh, Hollywood talent who have a history of working in games uh, and they are baffled. They cannot figure out why publishers not accept this game. And again, it's the same thing we had with Potato. So we're, we're making some company changes and I'm not quite ready to talk about them yet, but we're going to be doing some stuff that puts us on the radar and addresses this. Not just for ourselves, but for everyone. Sounds good. But so going back to this, like, is it like a, is it a macroeconomic thing that the publishers are afraid of? They're just afraid of taking chances? Because, I mean, Potato Tail isn't exactly, I mean, well, it, it is, um, it's like basically a Metroidvania, but it's got a bit of a twist to it. So it's not immediately recognizable. Are we seeing sort of a move from publishers uh, going away from like what we traditionally call indie to calling, I guess, what's safe, uh, uh, which is less indie if you really look at it. Is the indie sort of scene not really indie anymore? You know, what indie is, nobody knows anymore, I don't think. And I understand this came up recently, and, and I, I haven't watched a lot of the... Uh, recent game award shows and everything, but I understand there was, oh, I'm forgetting which one, one of the really big indie titles, but they had a publisher or something. Um, I don't remember the specifics, but I know there's a lot of issues about that. And then depending who you ask, I have quite literally heard id software considered an indie company. 
and they are based on the uh, description you use for what indie is. Well, they're and small. That's but what even they, is they, they do, man. They're, they're not small. I mean... If you use the description of indie where it is a company not formally affiliated with the publisher, and I know that's changed for id now, but, but you know, like 10 years ago, I don't think they were partnered with, uh, what is it, Activision? One of the, I forget. Yeah, I'm not sure. my head, but they would have been considered indie based on that description of indie. And then other people say, well, an indie company is one that makes under X dollars a year. I mean, even you look at my company, based on the description of indie, my company is indie or we're not. We're actually like a full company or something. So what is indie? Mm -hmm. And who who's coming up with these descriptions or these definitions anyway? You know, I think people are just reaching up the pooper and feeling around to see what they can get. Because uh, these descriptions are literally all over the place. Um, and like I know I hear the term triple I as well, which is like a well-funded, like it's basically a small studio. That That's actually new one to me, uh, but I but I get it. <laughs> um, and I, I know one of the things I've seen with indie as well. I mean, like I've heard people say we are indie priced. But then the prices they are, they're like, oh, yeah, we were like $35 for this or that. And I'm like, what? No, no, no. That's way too low. Even indie should have more money than that. And like, I, I have the problem with a lot of, um, you know, the, the artists out there that like, oh, I'll, I'll do this piece of art for $35. I'm like, how long does it take you to, to make? Like, oh, like six or seven hours. I'm like, have you thought about your, uh, your, your profit margin there? So I usually end up paying people a lot more than they ask for just because of that. I feel bad paying that little. But then in, in addition, one of the issues I've also seen with indie, I've actually been trying to separate myself from indie more and more the past years because a lot of times indie is also, I've seen in a lot, not all cases, but in a lot of cases, indie has also become this angry, whiny group of people that are just mad at everything. And it's actually they become the internet. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's reasons for that that I've actually dropped off Twitter for the majority of it because I'm scrolling on Twitter. I'm like mute, 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 mute because it's just it's I'm just you know going through Twitter and it's just people are just hateful about everything, every little thing, so angry. And I'm like, I'm not here for that. And and I I, I get shit's bad, people, especially for a lot of people. But we can't focus on the bad so much. And I see a lot of that with the with the indie group. Being an artist has always been hard. It doesn't matter when when you grew up, what you're doing. The mm -hmm. vast majority of artists are poor, and that's true. It's definitely true. And, and but sadly, at the same time, that goes back to what I had said before, where like I'm I'm paying an artist where they ask me like for like thirty five dollars for a piece of art, and I'm like, this does not match the profit mm -hmm. margin. For a lot a lot of artists are also bad business people too, which is yes unfortunate. And I have bluntly reached out to artists I'm friends with or that I've even hired and said, okay, we, we got to talk about your pricing structure. You've got to increase this. For, for one, your shit's amazing. And two, you're not making any money here. You're, you're broke. Let's, let's fix this for you. Let's, let's figure out how we can make you more successful. So I don't know. Um, indie is a very complex topic, obviously. And I don't have the answers um despite me kind of being in that world but at the same time i said i'm trying to back away from in from being referred to as indie only because 
what do you what the fuck even is indie well in the last 10 years like uh since indie game the movie came out it was it's been a little over 10 years i think I forgot about that, that yeah was quite but a... that's when it really put the indie scene on the map i think that's yeah. my take on it um well first of all is indie really even relevant in the terms of just using that word or are the current people who play games will just play any game now and sort of except that it maybe is like sprite-based, 2D, um, maybe doesn't have the same budget, or they're just going out there to like have fun. I, I think the difference is when you get into the esports world. Esports players want the most gorgeous pixels imaginable. Um, I can see that. There's, a, there's one very popular game that's on in the esports space. Of course, there's like League of Legends, that's the one, yeah. Watch. Um, like the, those games, they're really, really pretty. The, the artists did a fantastic job on those, and same with the, the, the graphical engineers. Um, but at the same time, I would have a hard time, <laughs> and I could be wrong about this, you know. Um, but I would have a hard time believing that if one of those looked like vampire survivors, it would get the same traction, but. That might also be me starting to think like how I think some of the publishers are thinking, where I'm willing to bet a lot of publishers looked at Vampire Survivors and said, this is nothing. And they probably didn't even play it. And now it's one of the most successful games currently. <laughs> Does it, uh, do you think publishers just literally just go by looks alone now? Is that what you're sort of... I think it's part of it. Um, but it's not only part of it because... A frustrating thing I found is that getting feedback from publishers on a title they reject really hard. is almost impossible, but not entirely impossible. I have had publishers that have given us feedback and I, and I, I always reach out to them. I say, thank you so much for, for saying this. You know, we really appreciate it because most of don't. And I will say that for our games, they've pretty much never mentioned the art. They've always said that the game is pretty. Um, and that, so like Portata, they all like the art. Runic, they all like the art. It's been other things that they had problems with. But at the well, same the time... Then? if if Because they gave it to you. Was, <laughs> was it actionable? Was that something? Not always. A lot of times it's things like, like on Runic, for example, we don't have the capabilities to budget, to, to market a match three title. I'm like... I mean, that that's... Bear That's a very odd piece of feedback. Well, that or um, well, I guess if you think about it from their perspective, match three games, it's a very saturated market, arguably oversaturated. So, how do they market? Although Runic is unique and very good looking, how though do they make it rise to the top above all the others? And that's probably something you're thinking about right now. Oh, yeah. We we already know how to do that. I mean, first off, you know, we've got the visual novel component in there. Um, we are console focused from the day one. We have a lot in there built with, you know, sitting on your couch playing this on like a PS5 or something or whatever consoles we ship on in mind. Um, you know, this is not a game to be sitting there on the toilet playing. So there's a lot that can be taken from just that alone. But I, but I know also, I do wonder how many publishers actually played the game. But, and also, how do you pitch that to a publisher? You're sending them an email with maybe a pitch deck, and it's hard for that necessarily to come across. It can be. And that's where I would hope that they're playing. But this kind of goes into what we were talking about. I think we talked about a previous podcast. Excuse me. In a previous podcast where 
I believe we discussed my issues with judging at game events. Um, Getting to MegFest, because I'd love to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I kind of did my own research, and I'm not going to get any names. I'm not going to say anything specific, because I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. But I definitely found there was a lot of favoritism going on. There was a lot of judges who were literally not even playing the games they were judging. They're watching the video and judging it based on that, which to me is wildly unacceptable. That's unethical. That's unethical. Yeah. And talking to a lot of other developers, they, they they agree that it is unethical and it's unacceptable. But talking to judges, I was told by judges, we have to judge so many games, we don't have the time to play them all. So I said, you know, I need to put my money where my mouth is. So I've been the judge on a number of events now. Um, there's one event that isn't out yet, so I can't, I don't think I can talk about that one, but I was judge for MAGFest last year. Um, I've been judge on a number of other events. Names are oh, did you play our game? <laughs> Karen, we were there last year. Uh, I, I was not assigned it sorry um but but even if it was yours i wouldn't have played favoritism i would have played it proper and that's the thing i told myself okay i'm going to go into this and i'm going to do what all the judges tell me they can't do play every fucking game so i played every game i was given and i gave them a proper you know i actually gave them feedback yeah. i did everything i said judges should do and i am insanely busy i run two companies plus i have a day job and i try and have a life on the side and i still manage to judge all the games i was given i played so, every game for magfest this like i judged this year uh, uh for 2024's magfest and i played every game at least every game that i could because uh my laptop would not run one of them and i said i think this needs a proper gaming pc and i just didn't i didn't reject it i just said assign it to someone else player how many games did you play uh i think i played 14 or 15 yeah, I was given 15. How long? Uh, anywhere between 15 minutes to an hour. Depends on the game. If I knew, so, if I got the gist of the game right away and it would present itself right away and I could give it a good score or, or, or knew what score I wanted to give it right away, I would. And I would. And I was so upset because they gave me um, a Mega Man style platformer game and I was having a lot of fun at it. And then like it disappeared off my queue. They gave it to someone oh, no. else. I'm like, oh. I wanted that that game. So this is my point exactly, though. I mean, we're busy people. And and I'm not sure how busy you are, but me, I mean, I barely have time to sleep. Not even joking with how much I have going on. I still managed to play every game I was assigned, and I could have taken on more. So to hear these judges consistently say, oh, we don't have the time, uh then get the fuck out of the competition and stop being a judge, you lazy fuck. Uh, you're being an unethical piece of shit. I'm just going to say it. Now, taking that and taking... I don't public- disagree. I don't disagree. If, if, if they're <laughs> um, if they're not playing the games and just going... Because the video is the video. And like these games are still in development. A lot of them don't even have a proper right. trailer yet. So taking this now to publishers, and this is something I think I've kind of caught some of them in. In reading some of the feedback, you know, the feedback I was given, I'm they're talking about certain things that aren't in the game or aren't there. And I'm going, yeah, it is. You experienced that five minutes in. You didn't actually play the game, did you? You only looked at the trailer. And I'm sure publishers get a lot more games. But if you're going to be a publisher, you can't. If you're going to be a publisher of interactive media, you cannot judge a title based on video alone. If you're going to do that, go work in film. 
this is not the film industry. You need to be playing the game if you're going to if you're going to properly judge it for a, an event or for publishing. And if you're not doing that, get the fuck out of the industry. Go work in film. That's I, what I have to say about that. I mean, <laughs> I don't disagree, but let's um let's get on to uh, our next favorite topic because we, we we sort of brushed on this a little bit. Yeah. Um, our your favorite company, uh, Unity. Uh, <laughs> um, so Unity, as and Gary and I talked about this in the last podcast, and I don't think we did it justice at all. In fact, I actually said a bunch of wrong information on it. So if you listen oh, no. to that podcast, or if anyone who's watching us listen to that podcast, ignore what I said. I got some stuff wrong. Um, you got busted. What's that? You got busted. No, I didn't get busted. I just went back and realized, I reread a bunch of stuff and realized what I said was wrong. So I apologize. I have misrepresented myself on this podcast now a couple of times, but um, that's just part of doing the, the thing. <laughs> yeah, the fact you're calling yourself out though and, and fixing it for yourself and being honest about it, this is how good of a host you are. Well, I try to, I, I, yeah, people just double down on their bullshit. Yeah. No, I try <laughs> to be a person of integrity as much as I can. Anyway, um, so Unity, uh, when the whole Unity debacle happened, and I think it's fair to call it a debacle because the communication around it was basically horrific. Uh, they dropped the bombshell. There wasn't a lot of good information available on Unity's policy on uh, on their um, uh, basically their runtime environment fee. I think it was the best way to frame it, um, and it left a bunch of people confused and scared. I think. Uh, it scared the crap out of a lot of people in the indie scene. There were a lot of people at Gumbo who were waving their arms in the air. Oh, I'll never get a publisher. Oh, Unity is the worst platform to use for game development. Um, and there's people who are, I know, who are looking for publishers right now for their games. Not not you, Red, but other people I know who have had who've struggled. And they are they. I've heard them anecdotally blame the Unity stuff. On that, I don't know if that's true because if I look at this rationally and logically and from a business perspective, based on the most recent information, because uh, Unity actually has released updated information on their policy around this, um, it doesn't make much sense to me. Like, I don't think people should be running for the hills. I think Unity did a terrible job introducing this policy, but the people it affects the most now. Um, and I'll, and I'll elaborate this uh, in a second here. The people Unity's policy affects the most are basically AAA companies, uh, AAA publishers. Um, and then I would say, okay, because we just talked about how you can't define indie anymore. Just, I would say, let's call them middle class. Middle class um, uh, game developers who gross over a million. Um and uh, I, I, to me, the the two point five percent because they are they their their policy is we're going to charge two point five percent annually uh, based on your game's revenue. Um, if for any game that makes over one million, they are not charging anyone uh, who makes less than that anything, and they're only charging people who are using Unity version twenty twenty four. So anyone who releases on an earlier platform isn't going to get charged for this. 
anyone who makes less than a million isn't going to get charged for this. Anyone on like the uh, Unity Basic license, I think it's called, basically the free license, won't get charged, but they'll they will have to upgrade their license if they now make over two hundred thousand instead of one hundred thousand before that. But that's just a license upgrade, and then if they make a million, then they'll be subject to um, this new policy. So I don't think this is inherent inherently unfair. I think the communication around it and the confusion it caused was not great. But I don't think Unity's policy is necessarily bad. Now, Red, over to you. First of all, can you hear my cat meowing? I thought it was mine. Okay, so you can hear it. <laughs> it's coming through. I can't hear it. So, oh my God, where do we start here? Anywhere. <laughs> Anger Cat had to come out here. Anger Cat, okay. Anger Cat is here because Anger Cat is angry. Um, everything you've said is correct but I think you're missing this giant list of things here that I will not put on my screen because I don't have a post box set up. Um, <sighs> um, let's do this. I'm trying to think of the best way to go through it because there's so many topics to go through, but it all comes down to... Um, Why don't we start with the publishing, the publishing concern? Because okay. I know you've so, even mentioned that before or even yeah. earlier that... That could have the, been an influencing factor. So the publishers that I'm friends with, the publishers I've spoken to in the past about things, they admitted to me that they are not sure what to do about the Unity situation because even with Unity changing or you know backpedaling on this, this isn't the first time Unity has tried to retroactively do terms of service changes. This is just the worst and the loudest. But is, is it retroactive when they say it only takes place on the latest version of Unity? Yeah, but that doesn't work for console companies. For console porting, you have particular SDK windows you have to work within. And there are particular Unity versions that work with particular console SDKs. So it is actually impossible for me to stick with a version, even if it's LTS. Okay, so now... Let's also talk about that a little bit. So now this is a blanket policy from Unity, but if you are a big company like Nintendo, Sony, Sega, Microsoft, all the, uh, Sega, not anymore. Sorry, my cat is walking on my lap right now. So this is going to be- They're part, part of it. Podcast. They're also okay. mad at Unity. Hi, um, everyone okay. watching the podcast can meet my cat now. Um, <laughs> all right. So- they must have their own licensing agreements with Unity that affect any any game that they put on their platform. Um, they I, do, I, and that's one that I don't think I can talk too much about just because NDAs, but I kind of oh, know what. But, but even in general, let's forget about NDAs. I mean, this is, I think this policy is just going to be, is a blanket policy they're setting forth that's going to affect, uh, impact, I think the biggest people it's going to impact are mid-tier publishers. They make some money, not enough to negotiate with Unity directly for a better deal, but they make some money and they're going to pay the extra $25,000 per million that they sell with the game. Now, if every one of their games only sells $900,000 worth, uh, worth of, or makes $900,000 worth of revenue, they will never pay a dime in this licensing structure. So this I, I don't know. You have to remember also is that like I said, this is not the first time Unity has done retroactive TOS changes. 
And I'm amazed nobody talked about some of the other ones. Like one of the ones that affected my company was roughly a year and a half ago, Unity just out of the blue suddenly said, you now need to have pro licenses to bring games to any consoles. As a result, it doubled my company's uh, my company's um, burn rate. Well, is that and still the case? Because I don't have a pro license. And, and over half my company's burn rate is now just Unity licenses. Is that still in play? Still in effect? Yeah. So would a publisher typically pay for my that when they wanna when they wanna uh, port a game to consoles? So that's how we were talking to each other again. Would that typically fall under a publisher to cover that license? Would 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 that do any publishers have a bring your own license policy or do the publishers cover it typically? It depends what you're doing. If the publisher is actually doing the console porting themselves then they need to have the license. Since my company does the console ports, we have to have those licenses. So, okay, yeah, so that would be expensive. So there's uh, that, but, and, and again, Unity has done other things in the past. So what it, what it basically comes down to for myself and a lot of other devs I know <clears throat> is at this point, Unity has lost our trust so many times and they've done so many things like this and they've done so many retroactive terms of service changes and every time they do it, we've always said, we're going to start looking at other engines, and then we don't. And we always get back in this situation. So this one being the biggest and the worst, a lot of us have finally said, you know what, that's enough. But what do you and, what do you say how they respond to the backlash? Because I think they did respond fairly well. They did a far better job of articulating the new policy. Not um, really. I, I, they, I don't know if you read their most recent FAQ, because there was one that was published. I, I, I don't know when it was published, but I just read it today. And I thought it was very clear on what, what the requirements were to have to pay uh, for the runtime environment fee. I don't think I've read the most recent. And honestly, it's because at this point, I just don't trust Unity at all. There's, you know, a year from now, they might just delete that and change it again and change it again and change it again. And they've done this so many times that literally, I don't, I don't trust- Even with all the backlash they got this time? They got backlash the other times too. I mean, this, this, was this is nothing different. This okay, is just so the worst backlash they've gotten. But the other thing is also, um, some of the developer groups I'm part of, they've done surveys amongst you know companies big and small to see you know things that they're doing. And part of the survey was also, uh, what game engines are you using now, and what game engines are you going to use for your next game? And seventy five percent of the companies they spoke with are moving away from Unity in the next two to three years. Basically, when they finish the current. Do, do you think in a year from now, if they repeated that survey, they get the same results when enough time has passed and people have forgotten about this? Because a lot because of these I, games that are in development are going to take three, four years, maybe even complete. So, I suspect it will because, again, of the, the devs I know have spoken to about this, we all have we all have got long memories and we remember how many times Unity has pulled this shit on us in the past. And everybody, they are now, right now, taking the time to learn new game engines. My company is learning three new game engines as we speak. So, so let's talk and about that I'm, then. So, I'm, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Finish, finish your sentence. And my company is learning three new game engines as we speak. And other companies I know are also in the process of learning new game engines. Some have entirely, entirely abandoned Unity as it is. And I know at least one company who has told me when my company is able to publish games to Godot, they're going to abandon Unity as well. 
So among just the devs I know, and I know a lot of devs, most of them are no longer going to, are moving away from Unity after the current title. And to prepare for that, they're already in the process of learning new engines. So a year from now, yes, I think it's going to be the same numbers, if not higher. So with companies like Cerulean Games, we are preparing for that, which is why we're learning new engines to make sure that we're able to port games to where the industry is going, which in the future is not going to be Unity. Unity is going to be a much more mineral energy and engine energy engine i mean energy too they're they're but right now unity is the biggest engine in terms of market penetration now all the all the big companies use their own but in terms of the indie space the mid-tier space everyone's using unity like now some people are using unreal but their current has has the biggest penetration now i know other companies are already they're already moving their in-production titles to other engines because of this as well so Unity is, but is that worth the cost to do that if they're not going to be impacted unless they have to upgrade to the latest version? If they have something in production again, now, they won't need Unity, to change their version. What's Unity going to change next year? We so don't you're know saying that. this has nothing to do with the current policy and everything to do about trust in the company itself? It is, and that was something that was actually also in their surveys was. Um, why are you going to be leaving for other game engines if you are? And the vast majority was lost trust in Unity. That's too bad. And I know too. that's for me. Um, I don't really care what they change this the, their current model to. Mm. They've done this so many times. And I mean, I have a lot of other reasons. I mean, Unity is, I know a lot of people don't agree with me. Unity is just not a great game engine. In a lot of ways, I've had I to think write my actually own tools. I mean, I I, I kind of disagree with you there. I mean, I, the, I know. a lot of people is do. Perfect, like, no, but no, but for what for what it gives you, it's incredibly robust. You can do a lot know. with it. It is but a, a lot very, of what it gives you. Also, you have to strip out and write your own version of because what they give you bluntly doesn't work. <laughs> hey, Michael, I think I would I would frame that as maybe it's not the most performant implementation of certain things. Um, and, and there's, there's, there's certain, there's certainly, certainly bugs in a lot of it because I know I found them, um, numerous times I I've had issues in older versions of Unity with nested prefabs, with colliders, with uh, the Unity's lighting system. Uh, don't use Unity's lighting system, but that, yeah, that's, that's rule one. We'll, 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 we'll talk about that one another podcast. Um, well, here, I, I'll give you this but, phrase that we can make a whole podcast out of because this is one that I know a lot of game does follow is if it ships with Unity, don't use it. But the, the one thing, though, the point of all this, though, is that I've been using Unity since 2009. You know, I've known about the tools I'm not happy with and I've been writing my own. I have a huge tool stack in Unity that we use that we wrote internally. We can deal with the, you know, the 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 issues of Unity, the bugs in it. We can work around those. We've written our, our replacements for all of that. It's the trust in Unity's management that we cannot overlook any further. The, their management, the way they're handling the engine, the way they're handling the users of the engine, and the way they want to work with us. That is something I cannot overlook any further. And I know a lot of others who feel the exact same way. And because of that, None of us care what they've changed that TOS changed to. Um, we just care that they keep doing it and we're done. So okay. because All of right. that, so, we're moving so, on. So let's um, talk about then 
what is the best replacement? Because I don't see see Unreal uh, as a big con like it is probably the next best contender. Doesn't have a lot of I I don't know Unreal well enough to to comment um, strongly on it. But from my perception, it's not necessarily the best 2D engine. Godot is open source, so in terms of support and quality, I mean, I'm not saying it's I, I've never used Godot, but I, I when when you see when when you hear open source, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get. Um, right. So that stuff kind of concerns me. Um, as as a person who wants to focus on making games and not worrying about the platform and making them on. Um, what is the next best thing? And Ooh. how long is it going to take for the other platforms that aren't Unity to mature to a level that Unity is at today? And you then, and and to follow on to that question, these like Godot is open source, so that that's that's its own thing. But then you look at Unreal, uh, that's owned by Epic. They are a private-owned company, so it's probably some private investment firms and some some individuals with lots of money. They also have the Epic Games Store. They're also developers themselves. And the, their licensing fees are relatively cheap for their enterprise licenses, what, $1,500 a year, I think. So that's not I unreasonable. Got... But their revenue sources aren't their engine. So that means they aren't going to focus that much on their engine unless it benefits their own products, I suspect. Okay, so this is only something we can talk. I can talk about because, like I said, we've been learning multiple engines here yeah. at Cerulean to be able to support our clients and porting whatever game, whatever engine they want to work with. Now, I'll start by saying that with all those surveys I saw, you know, they did say which engines people are moving to, and the vast majority that people are moving to is Unreal and Godot. Now, having that said, yeah, let's talk about the different engines a little bit, and I'm going to do my best not to do any favoritisms because I know which engines that I'm personally liking the most for what, what Drunk Robot Games is moving to in the future. Like I'll just say right now, we're primarily working in Unreal. Um, but kind of to, to do a, a quick overview of each engine, um, I'll just start with Unreal because I mentioned it there. Um, Unreal is fantastic. Uh, it probably has the most robust and stable tool set of any of the engines. Hi, kitty including Unity. And one of the benefits there is that Epic Games makes their own games using their own technology, while other, not all companies do like Unity, that's something they've always been, uh, it's always been slapped on them, is they don't make games with their tech. In fact, they actually, Unity, talk about Twitter for a second, Unity did once start making a game in their own engine, and they canceled it like six months later, and they, I'd have to look at the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, we found it just too hard to do. And I'm like, oh my God, you you guys, seriously, if you said th that, you got to look at your engine, how bad it is. Okay. I'm going to play that one. Favorite. It's hard. Like, uh... It is hard, but Unity just makes it so much harder, but you don't know that until you've used other engines. So back to the point at hand. So I, so compared to, to other engines, just other engines, I'm going to do this with each engine I talk about. Compared to other engines, Unreal's tool set, I have personally found to be the most robust the strongest and the most stable. And compared to the other engines, um, you need to do the least development of tools on your own. They're, they do have their marketplace, which you could compare to like the Unity Asset Store, but unlike the Unity Asset Store, where a lot of the assets are very inexpensive, but also not great, 
um, a lot of the things in the Unreal marketplace is more expensive, like two or three hundred dollars, but they're also going to be rock solid with very good um, developer support. Now that's an issue that I hear consistently said with Unity assets. Um, there's no support for them. You can reach out to the developers, and a lot of times you're not going to get support. That's not true of all of them. I I, I, I definitely get support. I mean, there's one that we're working with right now, uh, working with bakery and a console support, and the bakery developer has just been fantastic, just emailing them back and forth. But there's been other ones that we reached out to them for weeks and didn't get a single response, and we had to request a refund from Unity. Um, but with Unreal, the marketplace, it just tends to be more robust as a result, but it's also because of those prices, I believe. You, you're going to get much stronger stuff there. You're making um, a lot more money off of their assets. But the market penetration is less too, though. So It's changing, though. There's a lot more people using Unreal than I think we know. And that's also because Unity is recognized more as something you can make a bunch of cheap little crappy phone games with. So a lot of people just grab that to do that. With Unreal... Um, Unreal doesn't really have a phone market penetration, which is okay. That's not their world. Their world is more PC, Mac, and consoles. Um, and for that, it's fantastic. And you know, you, you mentioned 2D, and yes, uh, they've done a lot of work on that. And as a result, their 2D support now is actually pretty good, but it's newer. So as you so don't really see a lot then. of 2D games produced yet. Now, yeah, like even doing Potato, like... Um, in Unreal, we're well, actually the 2.5D is what you told me. We're moving to 2.5D. Yeah, we're going to be doing 2D characters in a 3D world. And Unreal actually has like built an open world support. So if you want to make like a Grand Theft Auto style game, there's literally a game template for that right there when you create a new project. So like Potato is going to be an open world project with 2D characters running around. Otherwise, the game is still going to be, you know, the JRPG, a Metroidvania people. It's really not like an open world. You're going to have it somewhat on Rails, aren't you? Say it again? You're gonna summon on Rails, right? It's it's not. It's gonna be, it's gonna be on but Rails, the, but the template is is open world. Right, right. So if you met, if you remember like Pandemonium from back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I love that game. Yeah, yeah. We we kind of move around, but you might be able to go like around a tower, and the camera follows you. That, but the entire world itself takes place in one environment. So yeah. like you could get up to the top of the tower here, and you might see like the other side of the Isle of Moor. Um, I'll, I'll use that open world technology. But it's still going to be, you know, side scrolling. But the point is, we can do that in Unreal, and it's kind of built in to do that. Do you like Unreal, Elmo? Other kids. Cat's name is Elmo. Elmo. I think it's... Elmo just wants food, Blair. Uh, he doesn't get fed yet. It's not. It's not time for dinner. Elmo and I are in the same place right there. Let's be honest. <laughs> All right. Okay, so what so... about Godot then? What about Godot? Godot is. It's not a newer player in the industry, but it's become more recognized. And Godot is, it's strong. It looks, um, 2D, it, 2D looks like it's a very, like it, in 2D space, it looks like it's pretty good. It does, it, it, it's great for 2D. And uh, we didn't, I didn't actually use Godot until earlier this year. So I, I've, I've still been learning it. But one of the interesting things I found consistently with the devs I know, they all looked at Godot two years ago and said, it's, Eh, I got into Godot and I was just mind blown. There was so much of Godot that was already so strong. And I, I remember going through the engine thinking, wow, I wish Unity did half of this stuff. It's so smooth and easy to use. Um, but the interesting thing is, uh, again, saying those developers who hadn't, last time they used it was two years ago, it has changed a lot in the past two years. Apparently a lot of that does go to Microsoft because Microsoft uh, invested a big boatload of cash 
to help make sure it would it got um, I want to say Xbox not Xbox support um better Windows I, I forget exactly what it was for but I know they did a cash injection that helped a lot and I was researching because you know at at the time of the Unity implosion we're like what engine are we going to internally move to and we were looking at Godot for a bit so we're like okay well what can it do for 3D because we're working on various games we have like an un a semi-unannounced horror titles working on because working on so many puppet combo game ports We're like well now we want to do our own because we got some fun ideas it's going to be you know a first person uh, uh horror adventure so we're looking at that and other 3d things so we start researching what godot could do in 3d and oh my god it's it's good it can push is it, some but is it like it can't be more mature than Unreal, I would expect. Nothing is more mature than Unreal when it comes to 3D. I mean, nothing's going to be Unreal for a long time unless they do a lot of work there. I mean, Unity's HDRP pipeline can. Let me ask you this question. And then because I, I we've been going for over an hour now, over hour and 15 minutes almost. We have other engines to discuss too. Well, actually... <laughs> Okay, so you said maybe that's another working... maybe that's another podcast. You said okay. Well, actually, you've interrupted. Yeah, you've interrupted me there. So because you said you're working on three, we've talked about Unreal, we've talked about Godot. What is the third? We're actually working on others too. Uh, but real quick, we're also working with Game Maker, and we've touched okay. uh, Construct three a bit as well. Okay, so because I've I, I'm aware of Game Maker and I've heard of Construct, I know very little about those. Um, but let's maybe okay between. Unity, Unreal, and Godot. Mm -hmm. Which one, in terms of maturity, um, support, community support, which is the best? Between those three, yeah, Unreal. You think the community support and the customer support from Epic is better than what you get from Unity? Well, the customer, okay. I mean, Unity's customer support, I unfortunately have to say, has been my experience and has been very poor. I've never been happy with Unity's customer support. Unreal has always been very good. I've, because I've actually been using Unreal for over a year now. And so I've had a lot of, you know, back and forth with them in the community. And yeah, for the most part, it's been good. I was part of a Discord that unfortunately was a little toxic internally, but that can be said of like any, any Discord yeah, at the time. Any community. Yeah, any community. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't specifically blame the fact that that was unreal. Just that it was just that Discord. But yeah, I've actually been very happy with it. Um, you know, and and with Godot, I will say they are they're growing rapidly. Their documentation is actually very good. Unreal's documentation is very lacking, unfortunately. Their documentation is more a reference. Like this is what the function is not so much what it does. Unity definitely has the best documentation when it comes to those in all reality, but Godot's is really good. It's it's maybe comparable to Unity and Godot's a community has been very welcoming and very open and very easy to talk to. And I'm not saying Unreal's isn't, but they're also much larger. So you join a lot of these Unreal discords and stuff. And I, like there's one I joined that I think has like 48,000 users. So it's very easy to also get what you're trying to talk about or ask about kind of lost in the shuffle, but Unreal also has a really good forum system. So I've been able to go there and ask a lot of questions. Um, I haven't tried Godot's forum. I, I think they have one, I haven't checked, but I, but I know with Godot, they also have some, like there's a community I joined from there. There was almost 20,000 people large. So it had some of the same issues with Unreal and getting answers. But again, 
Godot's documentation is so good, I've barely ever needed to go to a forum to ask a question. I can just go to the documentation and it's there. Um, unlike Unreal, where the documentation, like I said, it just it tells you what something is. It doesn't tell you what it does. So it's much harder to get the responses. But I've heard consistently in the in the community, especially with the Unity implosion, a lot of Unreal develop like big Unreal developers have been saying a lot more people are starting to pour into us because they're leaving Unity. We and they're going to Epic saying we have got to improve this documentation. That is the biggest hurdle we're suffering right now. Or that new so Unreal and Godot and probably other engines are definitely taking the opportunity that happened with Unity to. They are the and, customer base and and, um, and they've been given a lot of money. Like I know Godot, they were given a ridiculous amount of money by um, mm, I forget the developer right now. Uh, oh, oh no, the Terraria developer. Terraria develop the Terraria dev doesn't even use Unity. Um, well, they use it for some mobile stuff, but they don't even use Unity for the most part. And they donate a hundred thousand dollars to Godot and I think Default, which is another engine. Well, what do they use? Uh, do they use Godot or? I believe they use GameMaker, but I'm not entirely sure. But they recognize the Unity implosion as being such a big deal. They wanted to help other engines to start being built to help take Unity's place. So they gave $100,000 separately to both those engines. And they said they're going to continue to support like $5,000 a month after that for each engine. So, and that's not the only case of that happening. Okay. So yeah, they're going to start getting a lot of, they're, they're already getting a lot of support to help grow them. So, okay. Now, I think we're going to wrap up pretty quick here, but the last question, what advice do you have for someone who is still working in Unity? Because there are a lot who are a little scared by by what happened this year uh, to port um, their game to another engine, whether it be Unreal, Godot, or something else, Game Maker, whatever, because that's not a small undertaking. Um, and it could derail a project. A lot of these people don't have resources to do this. So what do you tell them? But what, what can they do, if anything? How much well, is this going to cost? The obvious answer is, come to me. My company will, will take care of it for you. Well, that's but fair. <laughs> doing it yourself. Um, yeah, there actually is some very good stuff you could do. I mean, first off, I'd say look at the engines and, you know, like, for example, Unreal and Godot. You know, you take those. Do spend a little time doing the starter tutorials for both and see which one feels right for you. Because a lot of these engines, you know, they have very similar features. Like Unreal is easier to port to consoles. Godot is a little bit harder. But, you know, if you hire, you're probably going to hire a company to do that for you because taking games to consoles is really, really hard. So if that's a concern, you know, look at Unreal more than Godot. Otherwise, if you're going to hire a company, just take that off your plate and don't worry about it. Let us worry about it for you. Um, do some initial tutorials for the engine, see which one feels right to you. And then also look at what it's like doing the code. Like if you do a lot, if you're in on Unity and you do a lot in Playmaker or, or other visual scripting engines, you know, uh, focus on Unreal's blueprint system. Godot, I honestly don't know if they have a visual scripting plugin, but they have a lot of plugins I haven't looked at. Um, so look at those. If you're doing a lot in C Sharp, you know, learn a lot more of the C++ side in Unreal. It's scary at first, but it's honestly not that bad because Unreal has done, uh, they have a lot of built-in- Godot supports C-sharp though as well, right? Godot does have a C-sharp. I'm sorry, that's what Microsoft invested in. They put a bunch of money in Godot a while back to get .NET support into Godot. So yeah, uh, Godot has C-sharp. So a lot of times um, 
you can pretty much just copy paste your code directly into Godot. Uh, you just need to modify any direct Unity specific. Any reference to game objects. <laughs> right. And <you> <laughs> Which there are numerous. <laughs> there are, but the, the Godot is written in a way that's not that difficult to deport, to move all that over. You, you know, it, it will probably take you less time than you think. Um, if you're moving that from C Sharp into C++ in Unreal, it's going to take longer, but realistically, it's not going to be as bad as you think also, because Epic has done a fantastic job of writing a lot of what we engineers like to call syntax sugar into uh, Unreal's code. Kind of like how Unity has like game object and stuff and mono behavior that, that sort of wrap a lot of C Sharp or native functions. Unreal's done the same. And Unreal has a lot of classes as well that sort of handle those pointers, memory management for you very, very well. It's just a matter of learning those. Like you, you're going to want to use T arrays rather than other things and F strings rather than strings because those are Unreal's version of those that have a lot of that syntax sugar built in, a lot of the memory management built in. Um, so, so yeah, just, just take some time to learn the, the found, I'm not saying you need to learn how to build a game engine. I'm saying learn a baseline, do some tutorials, see what feels great. And then from there, you know, see what it's going to take for you to move what you've built. Because what you've built is going to be different from what I built, from what everybody else has built. So it's going to take for you to build. Like if you're working like on a game like Potato Tail, where you're using Spine for everything, you know, does the engine you're looking at support Spine or does it not? Or does it have something already built in? Like Unreal pretty much has a so you could, the you could master spine. spine to actual sprites, though, too, if you really wanted to. So. You can, yeah, and that's that should be part of your considerations. And I'll say, don't don't take it lightly either. Like, really good devs, um, they write stuff that can be reused. And I, I know John John Romero. I think it was not always. Saying, it depends on what's going on. <laughs> it, it depends what's going on. How much crunch? <laughs> realistically, you want to try and write things that you can reuse. That's one of the reasons that my company, we can do things so quickly. Like I know a lot of people go, how can you do so much with such a small team? And one of the ways is we write code that can be reused between projects. So I say that because whatever engine you pick realistically is probably gonna be the engine you're using for multiple projects moving forward, whether you're reusing code or not, just because it's what you're now comfortable with. That's why a lot of people stuck with Unity for so long, despite complaining that they don't wanna use it anymore. Um, because it's what they were comfortable with. It's why I didn't move from Unity for so long. So keep that in mind also. Don't just think about the game you're porting and working on today. Think about your next three games. What, you know, is this the engine you feel is going to be right for those? Is it something you want to continue to expand what you're building on for those as well? And if you take those things in mind, you know, you can probably choose the engine you want to, you want to move to within a few weeks. And don't, again, don't take it lightly. Don't rush the decision. Um, and remember, there's more than just Unreal and Godot. There are many others out there. Um, I'd say your biggest consideration really is if you want to be able to do consoles in the future. But again, don't worry so much about that. A good console porting company like Cerulean Games will worry about that for you. You just bring your game to us and we'll figure out how to get it working on the consoles. Um, think about what you're building now. Think about your next three games and make a decision and you know if if you have any questions about what's best you know feel free to go to a company that's been porting games in between engines you know message me i'll be happy to to give you some advice based on your specific individual needs so, and what you're working on you know, so just, on, just, on that I, note though um how can people get a hold of you Let, let's uh give your social medias your website everything else yeah. 
Let's let so our listeners you, reach out to you. The best place to reach out to me is on Twitter at Red Vonix. I'm also on Blue, was it Blue Sky or something? Um, that is. <laughs> some other social media service apparently everybody's been moving to. And the last time I was there, I saw like five Twitter people. and threads and whatever, or X or whatever. <laughs> Sorry, go yeah, ahead. But I'm Red Vonix there also. I'm on Instagram, though don't message me on Instagram. I don't respond to anything there because um, they get too much spam. Um, you can also find Drunk Robot Games. Oh, and also uh, redvonix.com on the internets. Um, drunkrobotgames.com, ceruleangames.com. Same thing on Twitter and Instagram. Drunk Robot Games on Twitter. Drunk Robot Games on Instagram. Cerulean Games on Twitter. Um, of course, if you have a, a if you have a project you need worked on, you know, a game you need ported to consoles, go to ceruleangames.com. We form you can fill it, or just message me directly. I'm easy to talk with. I don't bite unless you ask me too nicely. Um, and of course, you can find Runic uh, through Drunk Robot Games. You know, drunkrobotgames.com. And of course, you can also find the companies we worked with to do our voiceover acting, which we're going to be announcing our voice, our voiceover artists. We have a surprisingly famous group of actors that my mind is blown. We still have them working for us. Uh, but you can go to Ascendant Animation um, and you can also look up Lemon Toast Media or the Lemon Toast Media Group, I believe it's called. Um, they are both, they are available, you know, also on the internet, on the web, on Twitter. Uh, make sure you look up Steve Working Nunez, who, who runs Ascendant Animation, and he is just an amazing film actor, voiceover artist. You know, if you need voices done, please go to Ascendant Animation. They will knock it out of the park, get you some incredible talents. Sounds awesome. Red, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, we will definitely have you back. We're, we seem to have you back once a year at least. So we'll have you back again <laughs> next back year. Twice a year. I've got uh, you're, a, you're a colorful character. Yeah, we're looking forward to when, when Runic's released, come back and we'll talk about that. And I would love to talk a lot more about um, some of this engine stuff and actually yeah. what your experience porting potato uh, has been like uh, to Unreal. Because I, yeah, I think that I'm was happy. a good information uh, for people to have. And we do have our first Unreal game of our own shipping early next year, which is going to be a, a small horror title because we're trying to get something else pretty quickly right. so we can show the world that, yes, we actually can release and do Unreal games because we kind of need to be able to prove that out. So, right. you know, I'd be happy to talk about that as well. And, you know, I've been using Unreal for the past year on some other stuff. So, but but yeah, and, you know, it's it's a pleasure coming here and chatting with y'all. You know, it's always full of, you know, laughs and crying and anger mostly unity uh but it's always a pleasure thank you so much for inviting me i really enjoy it thanks red and we'll talk to you again soon and to everyone and all the viewers out there i don't know when you're going to watch this but right now it's just before the holidays so have a happy holidays to all of you and a happy new year and catch you on the twitters or the blue skies or just yeah, on that note yeah happy holidays to everyone dude are you red vonix i'm like that's me i'm running another meeting run with me we'll chat <laughs> All right, Red. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care. All right. See y'all.